Welcome to Layer Zero. Layer Zero is a podcast of unscripted conversations with the people that make up the Ethereum community. Crypto is built by code, but is composed by people, and each individual member of the crypto community has their own story to tell. Cypherpunks understood that the code they write impacts the people that use it, and Layer Zero focuses on the people behind the code, because Ethereum is people all the way down, and always has been. Today on Layer Zero, I'm speaking with Jia Zheng, who I'm sure I just butchered his name, but Jia Zheng previously worked in China during COVID and uh, came to America a little bit thereafter. But Jia Zheng has this incredible story of working for what we would call a Silicon Valley tech company, but in China, uh, but specifically on the content moderation team. And he tells a story of how content moderation actually works in China uh, and the level and the degree that these Chinese tech companies must go through in order to moderate and censor their content in order to even operate as a business. So we, we go through for about 45 minutes to an hour of the whole complex of industry behind content moderation in China. And then we explore a little bit of just the Chinese people and how they think about content moderation in China and how they accept it and what they do about it. And also a little bit is a, a layer zero of the people of China and censorship. But of course, we ultimately converge on the topic of Ethereum, how Zhang thinks about Ethereum and how Ethereum relates to the people of China. So I hope you enjoy this fantastic episode, diving into a part of the world that the West doesn't really get to get too much of a peek of here and there. But before we get to our conversation with Zhang, We'll hear from a few of our sponsors to make going bankless a little bit easier. What's up, Jajun? How's it going? Hey, hey, David. I'm I'm good. How how are you? I'm doing doing really good. Uh, you have a, a fantastic story that I definitely want to get into, but maybe just to tell the bankless listeners, the bankless audience, who you are. Could you just uh, tell us who are you? Oh, um, hi, uh, bankless <laughs> fans. I'm also a huge bankless fan. Uh, so uh, who am I? Hmm, good question. Well, I would uh, consider myself as a huge fan of Ethereum first, um, and I get into Ethereum like most of us, maybe during the DeFi summer. So uh, after that, I'm really passionate about the Ethereum uh, overall. So I uh, hang out with a, a bunch of uh, friends on crypto Twitter uh, every day. So uh, yeah, I, I would consider myself a huge fan of uh, Ethereum. And now nowadays I'm trying to be a builder, trying to build a smart contract wallet that support EIP uh, ERC-437. Yeah, so uh, before Ethereum, I was a product manager at uh, Meituan. It's like a Uber, Uber Eats in, in the US. And also I'm a product manager at uh, Bydance, the parent company of uh, TikTok. Mm -hmm. Bydance, the parent company of TikTok. And I believe that's where the the super interesting parts of uh, your background, I think that a lot of the people in the West won't be familiar with. And part of the reason why I want to pull you onto the show today. Uh, but can you tell the listeners a little bit more? What, what is Bydance other than just being the parent company of TikTok? Well, like, what do they do? Okay. Uh, Bydance uh, is a, like the Facebook or like Facebook of uh, in in the U.S., so their main business uh, con uh, is consists of a uh, a few parts. First is the uh, TikTok that uh, everybody use. Uh, TikTok is the name, uh, the brand they use in 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 the West, and in China they use another brand called uh, Douyin. Yeah, uh, this is where their most uh, revenue comes from, 
And they also have another uh, news uh, aggregator uh, app. Uh, it's called um, uh, like uh, uh, Headline uh, Daily. So which is uh, how they uh, comes from, like how their business uh, started from. Yeah, which uh, aggregate huge traffic for them to uh, also uh, help them to get familiar with AI and recommendation algorithm for them to build the TikTok, the, the, the video business uh, later uh, today. And that really seems to be uh, kind of the new meta in a lot of these apps that are coming about these days is it's really the power of that recommendation algorithm, TikTok especially, that has really elevated some of this newer generation of, of TikTok apps or TikTok-like apps or these newer generation of apps in general. Uh, how Were you involved in that side of the business or what were you doing when you were working for ByteDance? Okay, so uh, when I work at ByteDance, uh, I'm not involved in the recommendation part. Mm. I'm mainly focused on the moderation part. So the, the difference is that uh, the recommendation part is trying to... Uh, pick up the best content f for you uh, right. to be additive, to interact with the app uh, more often, to spend uh, as long, as, as much as time uh, as you can. But uh, most of my time, uh, I'm focusing on the moderation part, or they call a trust and safety nowadays. So trust our job safety. is, yes, uh, our job is mainly to, um, to, censor or moderate uh, that kind of content that we don't want you to see or we would like to uh, let you see less. And so yeah. what, how did you, how was the company deciding what content to moderate? Like, uh, was it like pornography, child pornography, or was it like, what, what was the categories of content that ByteDance would moderate? Oh, uh, I think just like most of the Web2 company or uh, content platform, there are mm -hmm. uh, several categories of content that they won't like to let the user see it. For example, the, the most common one is just spend. Mm. Like Twitter is doing terrible <laughs> on uh, anti-spending. And, anti and uh, for, yeah, the most part is spend and also uh, pornography. That's uh, mm. that's uh, that that's another huge part, and uh, also, uh, in terms of TikTok, uh, they have huge amount of uh, users that are like under eight, 18. So mm -hmm. child child related, you need to be more sensitive about uh, that kind of content, and also violence. Uh, for example, uh, you are you definitely not allowed to. Uh, kill yourself or suicide or uh, shoot someone and put some very bloody content on online. Yeah, uh, that would be the most most part. And also for, for, for China and maybe uh, some more restricted country like in India or uh, Middle, Middle, Middle East, uh, we have some different kind of uh, political specific rules that was not allowed to post. And that that part, the political specific stuff, that would you say that that part is the difference between the content moderation in the Western apps like Twitter versus the content moderation apps that you would see out of China? Yeah, that's definitely the most uh, different part. For example, in in China, 
in order to let the company to survive, you are not allowed to let the user to use your uh, platform to advocate any uh, political disobedience, um, to have their own political agenda. All you can do is to be a good uh, propaganda. You either allow the, the state to publish their own agenda, or you can only have some, uh, some very like soft or entertainment content that is harmless. Okay, so how that that's, that could beg, begs the question is like how does an app actually detect uh, political content that is against the political parties of uh, the Chinese Communist Party, right? So like I'm I'm assuming it's relatively easy to detect porn or nudity, for example. I feel like that's just a generic you know, scanning of the video and seeing if it looks like a, an image that's banned. How, how does content moderation look like when it's something a little bit more just generalized, like political speech? How, how does that work? Oh, good question. So, um, yeah, political content is, um, well, you can do it the hard way and the easy way. The, the easy way is, uh, well, there are several ways for you to uh, scan or to understand the content, right? So first is the, 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 the graphic side. So like what's in this video and, uh, for example, uh, it's easy to analyze, for example, if there's a, uh, picture of the, uh, political leader, like, uh, uh president Xi Jinping. So if his, uh, picture is, uh, in the, in some, as some frame, then it's easy to detect. So uh, this part of the graphic will be recorded uh, back to the moderator. So the moderator will take a look at this like video to check whether it's uh, it's is spreading some political rumor, quote unquote, or uh, other things they are dis discrediting the uh, political uh, leader. Yeah. Uh, so this is the uh, graphic part. Yeah, so you, you can detect what's in in the video. Also, uh, we are because you know China because of the Tiananmen Square uh, protest uh, or ma massacre, uh, they will censor like tank uh, during the uh, in in June every year. Yeah, so uh, this is from the graphic side, and also uh, from the and s sound is another. A huge part of a video, right? So, what what will you speak uh, during the video, or uh, uh, what is the voice content in the video? So, uh, we will like uh, we will uh, use some uh, voice detection uh, te technology to translate those voice into text, and then we will match those text with some keywords to 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 trying to uh, understand what are you speaking. So if your your speech hits some or match some keywords, then yeah, uh, again, this part of content will be recorded and will be uh, moderate. And so it's really just about flagging the content 
that picks up like, okay, this is a picture of uh, Xi Jinping, or this is uh, words that are saying the name Xi Jinping. And then it goes for manual review and then like people manually review it and check it out. Is that what's next in the flow here? Yes, uh, people will man- manually fl- uh, uh, like check it. Yeah, and also, uh, well, we, we will have some like algorithm that to detect if this speech is uh, s- spoken by some sensitive people. For example, like Dalai Lama or maybe uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, I assume, uh, recent days. So if there's any uh, sensitive political uh, celebrity that maybe you are not allowed to put their voice into the public platform. And so what would happen next if, if it was deemed that it needs to be censored? What does that censor, censorship actually look like? Are we just deleting the videos or what happens to these video files or audio files? Yeah, so uh, there are several uh, options for the moderator or the nowadays maybe the moderator's moderation system. They will automatically de- decide what to do next depends on which kind of policy you apply or this content uh, being applied to. So either this content will be taken down or this content will be hide or or even worse, the this this account will be deleted. And uh, how how is this how much of a of a tech company in China, how much of their resources have to go into doing this? Like, is this like a small part of their team? Is this like a large part of their team? Like how, how much resource consumption does this take up? Huge, huge. Uh, I would say maybe like two years ago, at least we have 20K to 30K moderators that is moderating the content daily. There's wait twenty to thirty thousand individual employees that are doing this. Yes, and they are spreading all around China. Like some, some are in the northern part, some in the southern part. We are trying just trying to build a distributed base or system to to handle the business. Well, just in case if we have one base, well, base is the place people do the moderation like mm-hmm. uh, uh, job. Yeah, so we have different base in different regions. So just to avoid single point of failure, yeah, they they know this. Uh, <laughs> they use anti anti fragile to censor. So in case uh, one place uh, was done, then they can use another place. Yeah, but usually the daily work is pretty uh, occupied since it's uh, there are so many content and uploaded daily. Okay, so there's tens of thousands of people in multiple different spots all doing this content moderation. And and you're saying that it needs to be having a very high uptime because we have to, the the company ByteDance has to actually be ensuring that the content going out is appropriately filtered. Like, like say, telling me that like 20 to 30,000 employees are moderating content on a daily given basis is like, damn, that's insane. I'm pretty sure that's more total employees than like Twitter has. And it's just doing content moderation. But also they're in multiple different geographic locations so that they don't get, 
they don't so they can always remain uh, why is it important that there are so many people that are like working on making sure that the content moderation uptime is like at 100% like why is so much energy is going into this well uh this is how business can survive in the uh in the authoritarian country it's a ha it's a sad truth that you, you have to keep like 99.99% of our time just to minimum to minimize the risk of leaking any political sensitive speech authoritarian regimes are very like fragile even though they have they control the they control like everything they control the media they control the army they control like even the land is uh, stay on but they they are afraid they are so afraid that even we let the free media or uh free uh, user uh content that got leaked that might that might spread maybe the spirit of freedom so yeah so the uptime must be very high so and there are often some like uh unexpected events for example maybe some like uh fiber network was uh cut uh for some uh for some reason but uh so maybe one of our base will be down so it will create a huge panic even the like the ceo or maybe one level down the at the executive they will intervene <laughs> they will moder they will check the progress like when the moderation system will go back online oh my god so so this is a cost that the business takes on of itself like this yes. this isn't the government paying these companies to do this this is a cost that the business is doing because they are so fearful of accidentally accidentally letting some politically sensitive speech through their system and onto the app that's right exactly so us uh, corporate uh, companies should feel especially those uh, social media companies they should feel very lucky to operate in the US they they don't need such a huge burden to run their daily business so what happened what would happen if um some video got through the system that was politically sensitive what would the chinese government do well uh chinese government uh they have a special office to handle this like cyberspace uh, administration uh office so uh they will they have several ways to uh to to monitor well they will like go through the uh, social media like like by themselves to check whether those uh, social media platform are uh following the rules following the order yeah another way is that they will receive some like reports or like flag so if they receive those they will uh uh so they will gather those case they receive to uh send back to the social media company to like ask why this content or this video <clears throat> about this specific issue was leaked why you failed to stop it from uh, spreading and is is there something in the laws of China that says like you cannot 
you what's it or is it just implied as in like is it actually illegal to have politically sensitive speech out there from uh like an individual or business standpoint or is it just kind of implied that if you do this the chinese government is going to do bad things to you like where, where what's the actual legal precedent here oh well um i don't think there's any legal precedent here well the constitution uh, of china is like the best but <laughs> you know it's all come down to the uh Im implement they can mm -hmm. always try to find some like law to to punish you uh -huh. and so who's at, who's at risk so say by dance this uh by dance accidentally lets uh accidentally lets some content through its system that's politically sensitive it's talking crap about xi jinping uh to saying china's bad uh and and maybe that happens a second time or a third time and then all of a sudden like what would the chinese government do to bite ants like what what would it how would it react good question like uh a few a few years ago at that time i think the uh restriction on moderation is not that uh strict so uh so biden's just saying that um um like recommendation algorithm is not political uh but uh, a lot of like uh, political sensitive content are uh recommended or spread uh on their platform so the authority just uh, just have some police go straight to their to their office uh require some report or uh, they will intervene directly and they even will those of those uh, police will even set an office directly at the Biden's uh, headquarters, uh, and also the all the apps uh, uh, built by Biden will be taken down from the App Store. Uh, yeah, and they say I think recently they say a company called Didi, and they are the uh, Uber of China, so they go. They listed in the in the U.S. Uh, without the direct permission from the Chinese authority, so their app has been taken down for I guess already one year. So and the, does the what? So the, the revenue of that business just drops to zero. Yes. So only existing so only existing users can you can access their app since uh, App Store can no longer distribute those. Uh, App in, in, install, uh, uh, yeah, installation. And so it kind of feels like a fine, a temporary fine. It's like your revenue is going to drop for a year. Is it possible to recover from that? Yeah, if you comply or if yeah. you apply very strict uh, moderation policy. So that's why we need 20 or 30 people, 30,000 people to do the daily job. Um, to apply maybe a stricter or you have very strong self uh you, you need to have a very strong self-discipline to to moderate the content even though sometimes maybe the the stay or the authority only require you to go to go 50 miles but you have to go 100 miles just to uh be sure you are safe mm -hmm. And you said it's twenty to thirty thousand people of moderators, uh, content moderators for ByteDance. But I'm assuming there's another. There's like each app or each company has their own army of moderators, 
And so the, you yes. know, you multiply this by like in, in the number of companies that, that are in this game, like how, how many, how many companies out there in, in China do you think have this like army of content moderators? Well, another huge, huge content platform is, uh, is WeChat or uh, Tencent. Right. Yeah. Uh -huh. They have even, uh, stricter rules. So, uh, Tencent run uh, WeChat, so it's like the an instant message message uh, app, like uh, like uh, what what's up in in the US. Sure. Yeah. So if you uh, criticize uh, Xi Jinping or any leader uh, in the WeChat group, the police can directly intervene and ask you to go to the police office to have a cup of coffee it's that kind of serious and it, is that because uh wechat reported the transaction that the not the transaction uh reported the text message or the message to the authority saying hey this person just said something negative about um about the government uh i think the local even the local police they have direct access to to to, to moderate uh, like what's mm. happening in the local area. So, and, and they, since your WeChat account is linked to your, uh, linked to your, uh, cell phone, your phone number, so mm -hmm. they can reach out to you, uh, easily. Yeah. You don't even need the Tencent to do that kind of, uh, like reporting stuff. The, the local police will, will do it themselves. Okay. So. Uh, ByteDance has like 20 to 30,000 content moderators, maybe something like Tencent has 30, 40, 50,000 moderators. I think if you add up a number of apps, we're going to quickly get past a hundred, maybe yeah. 200,000 content moderators. If you add them all up, maybe way more like at some point, the topic of like automation comes into play because that's really expensive. Like yes. that's uh, you know, hundred to 200,000 content moderators that are manually scouring content. How, how does this thing scale out? Is, is trying to like, trying to like make this thing uh, automated so we can start saving some costs. Yeah, we are. Yeah. That's where AI play the, play the roles. So, uh, we always say like AI goes to the left and crypto goes to the right. So AI is kind of like a tool that uh, authoritarian regime like since it can easily to uh, to um, to figure out the, the pattern so they can uh, figure out like uh, what, what kind of content it is. So uh, other companies are heavily heavily using the, the AI model to to help the moderator uh to be more efficient finding out uh, the content we don't like and so w where does this go when like the algorithms the ai algorithms get like really 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 good at their job and like i'm mean, i mean imagine like we don't need so many content moderators it's just so effectively streamlined do people are, are people like concerned about the logical conclusion of this um I'm, I'm, what do you mean? Like, uh, is like how, how good at its job is the AI content moderation? Is it like really good? Well, uh, well, it really depends on like what kind of content you are trying to, uh, moderate. For example, uh, uh if you pull out a gun and put it into, in front of the camera, 
then like it will be detect easily like within within seconds and this kind of a frame or this kind of graph will be reported and goes to the to the moderator yeah but uh, most of their company are trying to find a good balance between uh, between user experience and uh, and uh, uh, compliance so that's why they are hiring so many uh, moderator to to do the manual uh, check that yeah of course you can use AI to uh, to do the automation to do the uh, moderation automatically but yeah there's a trade-off if there's a huge like a mis mistake then maybe a lot of content will be deleted and a lot of uh, account will be banned so it's hard to find those uh, uh, balance uh, but I guess they are getting better on this uh, gradually so we can like even though our business is growing like 10 less but we can try to keep our uh, moderator uh, headcount uh, the same. Mm. Okay, so moderator headcount stays the same, content grows, uh, and like it's AI that's really filling that gap to really allow for the scaling of this moderation. Yeah. What, what happened, uh, I remember a, a few years ago, and probably still going on to this day, but there was this uh, big controversy with uh, the Uyghurs. And the Uyghurs were being like oppressed and censored. Uh, yep. wh what's their story with this with content in inside of China? Like how how did the Uyghur and content moderation uh, intersection interact with each other? Yeah, good good question. Well, um, I think dialect is kind of uh, in Christian. So if you speak English, I speak Chinese, then the moderator who only know Chinese they cannot figure out what like what David is speaking, right? So uh, in, in China, most of the people speak Mandarin. Yeah. And most of our moderator only know Mandarin or maybe their own local diet, but the, uh, dialect. But there are a lot of dialects in, in, in China. So it's, uh, so some people speak Cantonese and some people speak like Shang, uh, 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 Uyghur language. Yeah. And a Uyghur and Tibetan uh, area are like very political sensitive in in China. So, uh, well, first, uh, people from that kind of region, uh, from uh, 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 Uyghur and uh, Tibet, uh, they are not allowed to like live stream. So, because live streaming is very <laughs> dangerous, because every content you upload is. Uh, is uh, going out uh, without uh, moderation in advance. So they are not allowed to uh, live stream uh, at that kind of region. Yeah. And also, uh, whenever the... But of course, there are maybe some Uyghur and uh, uh, Tibetan. They live in the uh, Ch uh, Chinese mainland, like in Beijing and Shanghai. They, they can uh, continue to uh, live stream. But whenever they speak the uh, local language, uh, their live streaming uh, uh, will be will, will be stopped because the moderator cannot understand what they are saying. So it put a huge risk uh, to the to the platform uh, because like 
if we cannot understand what they're、uh, speaking, then what if they say something political, politically sensitive? Then maybe our platform will be in trouble. So, yeah, people just brut- brutally、uh, stop order live streaming or even some like video content that speaking some Uyghur、uh, or Tibetan language. So、uh, I encountered one case during my work at、uh, Bydance. So, so this kind of process is kind of. Quite, quite stressful and tiring for the for the moderators,、uh, because they will because the rules is so simple, right? Whenever you speak Uyghur or Tibetan or any local dialect that、uh, moderator don't understand,、uh, you can just cut it or you can just you can just stop it. So I receive some requests from the、uh, moderate. Moder moderator uh, uh, manage management, so they ask us to develop a algorithm that can、uh, automatically de- detect the people who is speaking Uyghur or、uh, Tibet Tibetan language. So our system can automatically cut those、uh, live streaming. Yeah, but、uh, we we didn't do that. I I feel it's inappropriate for a company to do this kind of things,、uh, even though in, in in China. But so, I just use an excuse,、uh, saying that、uh, we don't have enough data points, so、uh, we cannot do this. Just to uh, uh, push it through, yeah. What what is this?、Uh, what what were you not wanting to do? Like I, like cut down the live stream or create the algorithm? Yeah, cr- create the algorithm because uh, the the policy part is not uh, I'm not responsible for the policy part, and I can I I I have no power to to change it. All I can do is me as a product manager at、uh, Binance. All I can do is to like um. Request some uh, al- algorithm uh, uh, needs or requests to our engineer and build the product and process to to moderate. Yeah, so I'm just trying to do my best to like stop the the, the harm. And if but、uh, so you you were were you like in protest? As in you're saying that you are not going to take part in building this algorithm. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a protest. It's more like a passive way to、ah. uh, trying to new not do some dirty job. Sure, but、yeah. if you d- did it, get, did that job get finished anyways? I'm assuming if you didn't do it, somebody else would. Uh, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Uh, they just uh believe what what I say to them because we don't have enough data. Uh, Because you know,、uh, algorithm require huge amount of data to be、uh-huh. more precise, and、uh, yeah, to be more precise. If you don't enough, don't have enough data, then you can easily make a mistake. Yeah, right. So okay, so you you were just saying that、uh, we don't have enough of like audio data of the Uyghur、yeah. language to be able to put this into an algorithm. Exactly. And was that true? Uh. 
No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> for for big company, if you really want to do something, you can always do something. It's just a like a trade-off. Uh, it's just about the cost. Like, how badly right. do you want to do something? Right. Did did other um, tech companies do this? Uh, as in, automatically take down the live streams of people who spoke Uyghur? Mm, to my knowledge, uh, 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 no. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know why they haven't had that ability yet? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, good question. Oh, I'm. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I. I don't know how. How other company do this kind of uh, product and process stuff. One, one thing that stands out to me is that the tech companies, the private sector, if you can really call it the private sector in China, they it wasn't done out of racism. It was done out of a need to be compliant. And yes, so, exactly. And so like it wasn't like there's this systemic racism against the Uyghurs. It's just that we the 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 uh we the private sector has this fear of accidentally putting out uh politically dissident content and it just so happens that uh, they weren't able to moderate the Uyghur language like and so m my mind goes to well then the if that is the policy that really forces a lot of china to st stick to like the conventional dialects like traditional, or I don't know, again, I'm not sure if I'm using the right words, traditional, but like yeah. conventional Mandarin. Mandarin now, like, I'm yes. assuming there are thousands and thousands of dialects in China, or at least a very large number. Does that kind of mean that the the smaller, more peripheral dialects get more oppressed than like the more canonical like languages? And as if you are like a speaker of a you know a smaller dialect. You don't have the same access and serv and services that you do if you speak Mandarin. Is that is that a fair assumption? Yes, yes, that that's true. Nowadays, um, most of the kids grow up speaking uh, Mandarin, even in in school. So they only mm -hmm. speak their own local dialect uh, at their uh, at their own house. Yeah, even but uh, yeah, I think gradually people are speaking more and more Mandarin, even uh, mm -hmm. at home. Right. And is that an explicit desire of the Chinese government as in they want to funnel everyone into this like same homogenous culture? Well, I would think so. Yes. Uh, yeah, of course, this have a lot of huge benefit because people in the same region can communicate better, easily. Mm -hmm. And it's also easier for the uh, for the government to to control because they're always trying to know, trying to moderate what people are thinking, what people are speaking. Yeah, if you mm -hmm. use another inclusion or ingression algorithm or like local dialect, then it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to govern. Um, that's nuts. Uh, is there any sort of sentiment of like, do the people? Uh, do the Chinese people like this or do they accept this? Or like, what is the positive to negative sentiment of the Chinese people about like this extreme level of like content moderation? Well, oh, good question. Of course, nobody like it, but everyone, every, it's like universally accepted that no one likes it. Yes. No, no one likes it. You always feel that frustrated whenever like, uh, 
the thing you post got deleted or the thing you uh, retweet uh, got deleted. So Chinese Chinese people become like really good first at self-moderating. We know what to say and we know what should should not say. And if we really want to say something that is not allowed, we will create our own language to 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 this to describe it and every, everybody just know that uh, the the meaning so mm-hmm. yeah this is uh, one thing uh, how when, how to express yourself uh, uh, in such a harsh environment and also uh, we know when to save the content that will be possibly uh, censored so we always like screenshot everything like whenever they say hot take or popular article that uh, regarding maybe some social event or criticizing the government. Yeah, then people will automatically screenshot it and share it in different kind of uh, media. Because they think that it might get taken down, so they want to save it themselves? Yes, yes. So it's like everybody become a, a note Note mm. in <laughs> right, in right. in the crypto world, so uh, they will just uh, they will just uh, download those content into their local device and maybe post it uh, or share in their uh, small small distribution channel with their with their friends right. family. Right, they make they make the data sharing more decentralized. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, is the is like the hot take or popular article is that like a code word for this is politically dubious content so you better like keep it uh perk up your ears yeah i think people are just very sensitive after i think especially after after the covid people have experienced a large scale of a um harsh uh, content moderation so yeah people people know what to what to say and what to save. Mm. And so is, is there any sense of like the people pushing back against this? So if you're, if you're telling me that uh, there's like this alternative language, like a secret language out there that like is used on social media to indicate um, something. And that indication is like, oh yeah, you should take, take a screenshot of this, or maybe you just want to like pay attention to this a little bit more. Is it, does that mean that like the populace, the general populace is like finding ways to, uh, explicitly push back against the censorship or, or is it more of just people kind of want to keep their, keep their head down and not get themselves into trouble? Yeah. The, the pushback is very, I would say very weak and it's really event driven. So whenever mm-hmm. there's a huge, uh, like whenever there's a popular uh, article that got deleted, people will try to fight back by posting, uh, like posting their own screenshot or they are trying to like, that uh, they're not trying to upload the screenshot directly they might rotate the screenshots mm. or they might uh, draw something on the screenshot just to make the moderation much difficult. Or they will use their like local dialect to uh, translate the original uh, article so that it's 
even more difficult to to moderate. Yeah, and is it dangerous someone, to do this? Uh, in general, it's it's not. Yeah, yeah, it's not very dangerous to to spread the content since you are not the original creator of this content. Mm. Yeah, interesting, interesting. But uh, but if but if you are the aggregator. You aggregate uh, all the content and share it to the public, then you will be arrested. And there are already several young, 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 young people that have already been arrested for uh, aggregating and spreading those content. What does it mean to get arrested? Do you go to jail for yeah. like a week, a month, a year? Well, yeah, I think. For what I know, that those people have been arrested and waiting for the for the sentence. I'm I'm not sure how long the sentence will be, but at least a few years. And when when people are like face to face and they're not using their devices or the internet to communicate, do they speak more freely, or do they do they also kind of maintain some level of self censorship? Hmm. Yeah, when you speak face to face, you definitely are more, uh, more uh, loose, or you have more freedom to speak. So that's why maybe people, uh, authority are very afraid of huge gathering, especially mm. during COVID. That's why maybe recently, when people go to a, uh, a so recently there's a Web three conference or event happen in Dali. It's a place in the south uh south southwestern china so people just gathering there to have some uh meeting but uh, whenever there's a like huge meeting if the people the attendance exceed 100 the police will precisely break in and ask everyone to like to record every uh it, to record information from all the for all the people who attend this kind of event. Mm. Mm. Um, well, there's been a couple of people that I've talked to uh, who who are either used to live in China or still do live in China. We we once did a show on Bankless about the Chinese CBDC with this author Richard Turin, uh, and the author. Uh, was giving rave reviews about the CBDC saying it was putting like financial tools in a lot more people's hands. It was doing a great job. It was just like banking the unbanked. And like, I, I can't remember where it was. It was, um, another, uh, crypto event where I met somebody who was from China and they said like, yeah, like while the West kind of thinks China is this super oppressive authoritarian state, you know, I actually like appreciate what my government does for, for better or for worse. And they actually do a lot of good and they help out with, uh, they just, they just help. I, I'm wondering if, if like well, this so far, this episode has all been about just like the insane levels of content moderation and censorship out of China. But do, is there also a feeling of just like, yeah, the Chinese government is like effective and, and they perform well, and we appreciate them. Just like, what, what's the other side of, of this story? Hmm. Um, good question. Or would you say it's all negative? <laughs> well, it's it definitely not all negative. For example, China have a 
great infrastructure. Like we have a high speed, uh, high speed uh, railway that uh, mm -hmm. goes like literally everywhere. Yeah. So sometimes uh, you don't even want to take the plane, since you know the security check, the the wait time is so is so long. Sometimes you would just prefer to go to the uh, use the railway. And I think maybe the 5G infrastructure is quite stable and the internet service is quite stable. Uh, I, it, it's like I never feel any like internet shutdown in, in China, but even in the Silicon Valley, <laughs> I, I'm now living in Silicon Valley. I'm, it's like it already happened two or at least three times uh, during mm. my stay here within, within one year. So uh, yeah, a, a, a centralized and a, a very centralized government can can definitely produce something that uh, Western democracy that cannot, but uh, maybe at the price of taxpayers' money, those those projects may not be very profitable. So yeah, so it's like everybody is subsidizing for that. But uh, yeah, and people, of course, can have some of benefit from that also. Yeah. How would you say, uh, how do the people of China think about the future of China? Oh. Are they like optimistic about the future? Or are they pessimistic about the future? Like, wh What's their general opinion? Uh, I talked to a few of my friends, um, uh, Chinese or American. In general, people are very pessimistic in the short run, but very optimistic in the long run. Yeah, the general why feeling is that? is that. Well, why is that? Mm -hmm. um, why we are very pessimistic about the short run? Because uh, I think because of the, because of the, well, first it's because of the COVID, like everybody in this planet. And it feels like China is the only huge nation state that haven't recovered from the COVID or even still have very strict COVID restriction rules. And you can often hear in the lockdown news uh, uh, now and then, here and there. And you know, the lockdown in China is different than the West. In California, during lockdown, you can still walk the dog, right? You can still go to, <laughs> go to the Costco or... Uh, targets to buy your grocery but uh, the lockdown in china means lockdown you are locked down your own apartment you are not allowed to go out all you can do is order the, the, the delivery but what about the poor people right how about the delivery man how about their life uh, that's that's very kind of suffering so first is covid and second is about about our, our president. So he changed the constitution few years ago. So he can be the, so he eliminate, he eliminate the term limit. So he can be the president like for life indefinitely. Yeah, so that's why people are very pessim uh, pessimistic in the, in the short run. Why were they optimistic in the long term? Well, hmm, I don't know. I guess we are always optimistic and and we have a huge uh domestic market and we have a huge 
uh, amount of population. And I think China have very a lot of similarity, just like Ru- Russia. So we all live in the authoritarian regime for 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 now. And but I mean, you, if you can just look at the history, for example, like uh, uh, like math Olympics, you, you just take a look at the, the winner. They are all like Chinese, even though they might be American Chinese. So, yeah, and just just take a look, like Web two, uh, like during the Web two era, the only great company that is capable of competing with the with the West, uh, is like the Chinese company. So mm. yeah, so in in general, we are quite optimistic if we can live without the limitation, without the the burden that. Uh, that's not necessary. Yeah. While you lived in China, were you familiar with Ethereum or did that come after you left? Oh, yeah. Good question. So uh, during COVID, I, I, I quit my job. I feel very pessimistic in the short, in the short run. So I feel like uh, maybe I'll go to the US is my only way. So uh, in the summer, so I'm just browsing on, on the Twitter. I saw one of my friends post a blog regarding yield farming. So I, so I find it very interesting. I mean, like amazing. How can you get like yo like twenty percent APR on stable? On stable, I mean, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. You can only get maybe three percent or five percent uh, from the Chinese bank. So I feel like it's a huge uh, arbitrage opportunity. So I put all my uh, money, yeah. To the USDT, USDC, and start uh, yield farming with with stable, uh, with stable coin. So first from BSC, yeah, that's that that's another topic. I I feel like all EVN are good EVN, so it's good for onboarding new users. Since at that time, I feel like you just if you do a swap on Uniswap, it costs like one hundred or two hundred US 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 dollar. That's uh, so expensive. Yeah, yeah. So long story short, I go to BSC and I try to do some yield farming and I'm getting more comfortable. So I go to Polygon for yield farming again. Yeah, and I think uh, since then, I was like, uh, uh, went into the rab- uh, ra- uh, rabbit hole like most of us, uh, most of the uh, people who... Uh, here nowadays and listen to like bankless on chain the daily gray those are amazing content you guys provided yeah so uh, so i'm becoming more active in the ethereum community reading vitalis blog yeah this is like how i get into uh, ethereum how did you think about um, or do you think about like the intersection of your previous job at Bydance and Ethereum? Like, how do you think those things relate? Was that something you were thinking of while you were going down the rabbit hole? Yes, I think it's a huge, huge difference about this two two worlds. So what what I did in 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 Bydance is like a moderation or censorship to be more precise, but Ethereum is like anti-censorship uh so i feel like my work 
in the crypto space in the Ethereum ecosystem is feel like a redemption. I'm trying to redeem my my sin. I'm trying to <laughs> save myself from my past past dirty dirty work. <laughs> yeah, because and, uh, uh, what, oh sorry to interrupt. Uh, I think there are only two things in the world that authoritarian regime that cannot censor. So one is Bitcoin, of course, uh, and second is Ethereum, uh, especially when Ethereum go to uh, after the merge, it's like unstoppable. So I, I guess that's why I love Ethereum so much since it's focused so much on the decentralization and anti-censorship. So yeah, I feel like it's a good fit. And especially my work, uh, after my work in, in Binance, I appreciate the the feature of anti-censorship uh, a, a lot more than than other people. Maybe especially the people live in the U.S. Uh, maybe the most difficult things you ever experience is uh, the platforming uh, Trump. Mm -hmm. Even though I think it makes sense, but it's still a big shock for a lot of people. Yeah. But what, what about um, just uh, the general Chinese populace? Is there like positive pro-crypto sentiment among the people or neutral? Or what's the people's thoughts on Bitcoin and Ethereum in China? Mm, I think f for general public, I think the sentiment, I think for the general public, the sentiment would be quite similar no matter in the in the West or in the China, uh, there are still a lot of speculation going on. People re mm -hmm. really don't understand the, the fundamental. They always consider cryptocurrency as a replacement uh, for fiat, which it doesn't make sense unless it's stable coin, right? Mm. Yeah, and especially, I think, uh, Chinese government like send out those kind of propaganda every year, telling people to avoid to touch the uh, cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency is a is a scam. I think still a lot of people have doubt about about crypto in general. Right, but but also it kind of sounds like it's pretty similar to what it is here. Like some people think it's a scam. Like you know. Our, our mom's thing is like, oh, yeah, crypto is a scam, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. um, but then also, is there like also like the crypto scene in, in China or, or is there a crypto scene in China? Uh, yes, I think it's getting more and more, like crypto is attracting more and more people in in China, especially after the after DeFi, uh, after uh, Gitcoin, like uh, ReFi, uh, public goods con uh, concept and um, like Sobang token concept and DAO, DAO governance. Uh, a lot mm -hmm. of people with a social science background are trying to break in into the crypto space. Uh, I think especially uh, after all the Web2 company uh, got wrecked by by the authority. So uh, people, it's, it's getting difficult for young people to have a Good job in the web two world. So people are mm. like uh, escaping or running to the, to the crypto.
for various of reasons. Beautiful. Well, Jijong, now that I have you on Bankless, is there anything, uh, any message that you have for the Bankless Nation? Anything you want to say? Um, yeah, uh, I think I have a few things to say. Well, uh, first, uh, Revitalis block. That's very important. That's the best, best source and best source you can get to help you to understand crypto, help you to understand Ethereum. Uh, yeah. And the second is uh, focus on the fundamentals, uh, trying to uh, understand the product and, and process and care less about uh, the price movement. And I think for those people who really bullish on Ethereum or, or crypto in general, I think the cheaper the token price gets, you should be like more happier since you can <laughs> buy it, buy it in such a low price, right? Yeah, um, yeah, and tr trying to build. I think building is a, it's super fun and it's a really good period to build, especially the, uh. The, the VCs, I mean, there are huge amount of money from VC. No matter what you build, even though you build something extremely stupid, there are still people are willing to, <laughs> to, 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 to invest in you. So it's a really good time to build. And <laughs> yeah, I think basically that's it. Thank you, Dave. Awesome. G of course, Ji Zhang, thank you for so much for coming on Bankless and telling me your story. Thank you. <laughs>